Welcome to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. Excited to have you here. My name is Dino Watt. I'm your host and excited to share with you again another one of our best practices series, this time with a professional. We always talk to our experts and our professionals. And today we have Dr. Bahar Esmali, who is really going to fascinate you with some of her ideas and treatment plans. And I'm just excited to have her here. If you've noticed over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of had a bit of a theme because we haven't uh, interviewed other people who are practicing more in a holistic way, more in a, a full body way, as opposed to just the specific, you know, how do I lead my team? So I'm excited to have you here. Again, I just want to share with all of you my gratitude for you sharing this podcast with your friends and your colleagues. We are inching up on that 100th episode, and it's all because of you. Thank you so much for being a part of the Propreneur Movement. And that being said, let's welcome Dr. Bahar. How are you doing? Doing good. Dino, thanks for having me on your show. I didn't even ask you this in the pre-interview, and I'm totally like a stickler about this because of my, uh, my name. So did I do a good job in the pronunciation? Yes, you did awesome. Okay, good. All right, good. I should have, I should have, I think it's a Somali. I'm, I'm pretty sure. It's so. actually, yes, the way it is. I was born with that last name and I just become a dentist accidentally. Oh, so. that's great. But do you, is it like, do you have a tag with it in there? Like, is, it's going to you know, be a Somali I haven't thought day. about it. Actually, I haven't thought about it, but the fact that I have an E at the beginning, it throws yeah. people off. Yeah. So I thought about changing the spelling to an actual S smiley, but I thought it was cheesy. So let's just keep the E and keep it interesting. So <laughs> yes, I was born and raised with that last name. Well, let's talk about that. Let's uh, the first thing we always do on this show is we love to get into the story because I believe that stories are what connects all of us. And uh, when it comes down to it, we're all, we all, we all have a story we want to share. So tell us your story. How did you get into the world of dentistry and to be doing what you're doing now? Well, do you know, I was uh, not, meant to be a dentist. I grew up in Iran. I came to the United States 20 years ago. So half of my life, I lived in Iran, half of the United States. And my passion was to become a pharmacist as and when I was younger. So early on, when I came to US, it's a land of opportunity. You don't have to pass a test to go to college. You can just pick a college and go to. So I thought, great, I'm going to be a pharmacist. And um, a nurse actually, of all things, directed me into dentistry. And she said, you'll be bored as a pharmacist counting pills could be a dentist and believe it or not growing up in Iran we never had access to dentistry so I've never met a dentist in my life and I thought really a 20 I've never had met a dentist and and I said okay guess dentistry it is I guess when you're 20 years old people tell you to change your career path and you don't think about it um, <laughs> it's different when you're 40 years old so that's that was my story never had anyone in my family doing medicine in particular dentistry so paved my way into it but I think when there's a wish or there's a will there's a way so I learned English as an adult and went to college and I was a homegrown dentist in Colorado, went to University of Colorado and I had multiple different directions, wanted to specialize in different parts of dentistry early on, but I had a lot of good mentors uh, throughout my life and they said, you, you'd be better off to stay in dentistry, general dentistry for at least a decade before you decide to specialize because you never know the, the good, bad and the ugly of every specialty area until you practice it long enough. And that could not be more true, Dino, because I could have been an endodontist and hated it. At some point, I decided to be a pediatric dentist. That was not the right fit. And orthodontist was never something that I was attracted to, just because I don't have patience for it, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And I started in um, having, you know, practicing general dentistry for the first 10 years. And 
until you actually master the art of doing dentistry, you don't really know what it is you like about it. It was more the last few years that I decided to have a private practice of my own because I wanted to bring the whole areas of dentistry together, work with other doctors that they specialize in other things that I can just do comprehensive full rehabilitation of teeth and treatments. That was my gateway into doing what I'm doing now. Because when I started really looking at all of the mouth instead of just one tooth, I start seeing the jaws and I start seeing the face. And, and, and I took different courses. For the last three years, I would say I've spent over 200 hours just learning about the whole head and, and the teeth and how they come together. And when you're looking from the smallest window out, um, your, your, your view gets broader. And it got to a point where I started to connect the thoughts between the TMJ and, and the, because mounting the cases and looking at the teeth outside the patient's mouth and knowing that the hinge of the jaw and the importance of it, then I started looking at the patient. That was the Pandora box that was opened for me. And I could never go back from that point because what I understood was teeth are just part of the story. And I came up with this analogy that the teeth are basically the children and the family. Think of it that way. The children, they have no responsibility of their actions. For the most part, if they're not disciplined, they would misbehave. Um, they can make choices, but they're bound to what the rules around them are. And usually are the parents and more importantly, the mother. So what rules the teeth and how they are, we find them broken and cracked and worn out it's because of the pressure from the system on the teeth. Mm. The, usually it's the, the muscles, the jaw joints, position of the jaw, position of the head over the spine. So I started relating and understanding that occlusion really is not how the teeth meet, but more so where the head is in relation to the spine and over the center of the gravity. And looking at the posture and seeing how people stand and walk, if they have a clicking jaw joint, they have a foot problem on that same side and they're holding mm. their shoulder the same way. So they start putting the whole dots together and um, got involved with too many different, I should say way too many different institutions and learning different systems of how do we treat the person? How do we treat the cause, the culprit of the problem, not just treat the teeth because of the damage they have incurred. And I'm glad to report, you know, that dentistry is getting much broader, bigger, uh -huh, and more sure. conclusive. We can no longer afford to treat the teeth as an entity anymore. Because even decay, cavities are not just an isolated event in the mouth. It's not a hole that we have to fill. Decay process is a disease that's generated in the body, the pH in the blood, the gut bacterium, uh -huh. everything in that person's system decide what is the fate of that tooth and the enamel structure. So it's not always just the, what the patient do is at home. Yes, yeah, uh, hygiene is important, but even, even the kid that we thought we understood it completely, now we are seeing how much the, um, the biofilm is affecting what the fate of the teeth and the gum tissue and the periodontium is. Wow. So to say that we need to have a connective way of doctors, especially medical doctors of all areas, functional medicines, um, chiropractors and ENTs, and um, other professions in medicine, sleep physicians, car cardiologists, working closely with oral professionals is an understatement. Because can you imagine how we can actually elevate symptoms by finding the source and giving the reverse engineering it from that point, rather than waiting until another breaker goes off and then we treat that symptom. Yeah, another I think symptom. that that's, I think that's really the crucial part, right? Is the being able to know that you have a whole healthcare plan with, which most people, you know, go into that preventative, or not the preventative, sorry, the emergency state, not the preventative state. And I think there is a little bit more of an awareness and I, in our 
and hopefully in our society a little bit more of let's do things to be more preventative and let's get all these people talking together. It's so interesting. You mentioned, you know, the chiropractic side of things. Uh, my wife and I, matter of fact, literally after we're done with this interview, I'll be going to my once, uh, sorry, every three, every other day, I should say three times a week chiropractic appointment for adjustment because of all the different things that it has helped me sleep better, walk better. Like you said, just have that better posture, everything. Um, and I've been, we've been in chiropractic for years, but this was just a different way to think about it. He looks at the same way too. He's like, I have a little bit of TMJ. He's like, well, let's talk about what's going on in your C1 and C2 and all this stuff. Exactly. Like, it, it's, it's a very interesting way to think about it. And I think more and more people are doing that. Now you said you opened uh, Peakview Dentistry uh, mm-hmm. just a couple of years ago, but. Uh, 2017. So 2017. roughly four years ago. So a little over you, three and a half years. But your goal there, you said, was you wanted to work with other doctors having like yeah. them have other professions. So you're working together as a conglomerate, not just exactly. you trying to figure it all out. Absolutely. And I don't think that you can be good at everything. I think the the misconception is to have a general knowledge, a little bit of a knowledge about every area. I think there is no rewarding a general knowledge. You need to specialize and super specialize in every area. And that's my goal. Um, and I, that's why I told you, I was really happy. I didn't specialize in any part of dentistry until I figure out TMJ is one of the most interesting areas of the body for me, because it is not only connected connection to the masticatory stomatomasticatory system, but is also connected to the C2 you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So fact of the matter is to say how complicated the shoulder, head and neck, uh, complex area is, is an understatement because yeah. we know um, especially children, this, this is the epidemic that got me fascinated, especially in the young folks I'm treating from the, from the university, it's a major university in Colorado. And I get a lot of patients from that population where these kids have almost identical symptoms and disease. And all of it boils down to one thing, lack of uh, craniofacial development. It's almost hit them in the same area, the same fashion due to processed food, soft food, and a lot of inflammatory processes in their body, which ends up in the lining of their nose. It's one of the areas that responds to increased inflammation and lack of function. So the nose gets clogged, so the kids cannot breathe. Other other, um, causes for that would be thumb sucking, soft food. So basically misgrowth of the nasal pathway. When nose is not functioning, when the air is not going through the nose, mouth becomes the primary route of breathing. And that basically puts the tongue low and, and, and low posture and tongue is what forms the palate to make that grow and gets the face to grow in the forward and downward direction. So if the function is not there, the bone won't grow. Form follows function, deformity causes dysfunction. So mm. these kids, they are growing without getting the maximum benefit of their growth potential. By the time they hit puberty and eight, eight, 17 to 18 years old, we see them already showing the signs of dysfunction, reverse swallow, meaning that they're not closing. They don't, they don't have passivity in their face when they're swallowing. When you swallow, your tongue should press against the palate. There should be no movement in the face, but they're using a lot of facial muscles that are unopposed mm-hmm. by the tongue. So basically their face is molding their teeth and their jaw inward. Wow. So now they, they are developing all these airway issues. Why? Because we have a small mouth, small airway. The tongue is not too big. It's just stuck in a small mouth. It's a six foot tall tiger, small mm-hmm. three foot cage. So when they're sleeping, the tongue doesn't go to the roof of the mouth. There's no room. Where does it go? It goes into the airway. Mm. So these kids are constantly having fragmented sleep. And I've seen them at age 12. And it's basically 
connected to the TMJ syndromes they're having because of their swallowing pattern of pushing the jaw back every time they swallow. And they can never go into the deep stage of sleep without the tongue disrupting that pattern. So what happens when you don't get deep REM stage sleep? That's where the delta waves um, reset. That's where your memory starts resetting. Brain decides what goes where. The learnings all gets improved. So all night long, instead of going into the deep stage, getting their brain resets and they get gross hormones in check and body taking care of itself, they're, fight or, they're in a fight or flight mode. Yeah, they're struggling. Trying to keep, keep their airway open and, and survive. So they're, they're constantly having to resort to medications yep. to, for, for, to stay focused. The chronic depression is a constant, complete consequence of lack of deep sleep. Anxiety. Um, anxiety is a huge one. Like I said, when I was looking at medical history of these kids, what I'm seeing is ADHD medications, almost 90% of them. And I have the question, wow. why are these kids on ADHD medications at such a young age? Can you imagine what your livers and kidneys have to go through at 18? Now, what are you going to wow. look like when you are in 50s? I mean, I want to know that when I'm in that older age, I'm able to walk. I'm able to have a cognitive ability to make decisions and breathe. If you cannot do any of that, what's the point of living that long? So when I'm looking at this population and seeing their dysfunction and how we are just treating their symptoms, again, if the, if the anxiety is related to the lack of sleep, why are we treating the anxiety separate? Why are we just masking it with medication instead of treating the cause? because we're not asking the questions to diagnose them. And even if we do, we look at their numbers on their sleep tests and say, well, they're AHI, which for most of the folks out there that don't understand what that is, it's an acronym like a blood pressure measure for the sleep apnea. If a, if a person uh-huh. does not breathe for more than 10, 15 seconds uh, during the sleep cycle, you completely stop breathing. That's an episode of apnea. Now, if your saturation goes down by 4%, meaning you get occluded by your tongue occluding the airway and the saturation goes down, that's a hypopnea. Average of those episodes is going to determine the value of AHI, which determines the severity of the disease. Now, if AHI is five, that's considered mild. Between five to 15 is mild, 15 to 30 is about medium. After that becomes severe. And those folks have to be on CPAP machine, which is a reverse vacuum that blows oxygen through their nose because their brain is not breathing for them. They stop breathing. Something has to keep them alive. When they're in a mild to moderate stage, CPAP is an option. It's not mandatory, especially when they're mild. So what do they get? Go home, stay until you're more sick, and then we're going to do something about wow. it. No, why don't we just treat them when they're mild so they yeah. never get severe? That's where that's basically the message that I have for the medical community is let's work together and treat these folks when they're mild. So they never advance. So I know we can go down a rabbit hole on that, but why do you think that's, that's becoming the more norm of here? I see a problem. Like if I were to go to my, my cardiologist and he were to see some arteries being, you know, starting to be clogged, starting to have, you know, a lot of plaque built up in them, he would probably want to do something now to take care of it, right? So that it doesn't become a heart attack. So why is there not that same almost, and, and whether it be medications and diet change and all that stuff, but why is why do you think there's not a, a shift in the preventative mindset when it comes to that? If you've got a mild form of sleep apnea and it's not in that higher range, is it is it the insurances? Is I have it, to uh, say, Dino, there is, and you just hit the nail in the head, 
the, the, the fact is the doctor's mindset is what is the reimbursement rate for the treatments that we're going to provide? Preventative is not very popular for getting uh. reimbursement and it's not a covered benefit. And that's something I, as a dentist, I do work with a lot of medical insurances doing what I do is not dental. And this is what I run into on a daily basis. I'm writing letters of medical necessities and providing supporting document. Why are you thinking that this person's airway is causing their depression? What is your rationale for it? So medical insurance, rather not pay for something, like I said, solution to pollution is dilution. Why do we have to, how can we avoid paying for a condition? Diluted down so it doesn't exist. If it is too mild, I hate to say it, it's to me as ludicrous as saying, you, if you have a little apnea, it's equivalent of being a little pregnant. You yeah. could be in an early stage of right. pregnancy, but you're not little pregnant. Sure. You will be, be fully pregnant given time. And it's the same thing. I think part of it is this patchy knowledge and research. Um, the other part of it is that there is not cohesive correlation between medical doctors and oral care physicians like me. Um, I hate to call it dentists because when we're just implying to oral professionals as dentists, we're point. just saying that you're just gonna care about teeth. I'd like to refer to dentists as physicians if we had a neck. I mean, I'm gonna raise the bar and, and requiring every dentist. Matter of fact, ADA is now making a huge, uh, strong recommendation that dentists should be screening for signs of oral sleep apnea, especially in children. And how quick does this get spread to all the practicing dentists to make sure that they comply with it? Think about the time that we start taking out the pre-meds, antibiotics out of the system. I was in second year of dental school and I still see people that are taking pre-meds going to the, to the office for heart valve you know, regurgitation. And I'm thinking 2007, 13 years ago, we had guidelines issued that you do not have to take this and we're still doing that. Mm -hmm. So how quickly can we get the science spread and close the gap? I think the biggest culprit is that we're separately diagnosing patients in our boxes. So if I see a patient coming here with a headache, uh, I'm gonna assume if they're in the head, it's gotta be in the joint, it's gonna be a tooth. And believe me on a daily basis, I had a patient yesterday had a molar that has a, feels like it's had a toothache. We examine the tooth, the tooth is fine. She's got a sinusitis because she's a mouth breather. And after half hour of me just digging into it, I become a chair detective. Um, I find out that it was not the tooth, it's the sinusitis. So we kind of go back into her childhood and she has had a chronic mouth breathing issue and she has a sleep apnea issue that she's unaware of. And she has all these classic symptoms. And to say that I didn't have to touch her tooth and I'm glad I didn't because it was been over treatment but how many people getting unnecessary root canals for treatments that is really not from the tooth? Remember the children analogy. Yeah. Children will tell the story, but they're not really the start of it. And, and when, you, when, you, when you reverse engineer in the back, you see that the chronic stage of inflammation, sympathetic activity that folks are living in, it's all driven from lifestyle, from our food, the nutrition, the state of our nervous system, chronic sympathetic activity. And what I wish for everyone is, to be more into the parasympathetic rest and digest so that body can reset. If you're all the time running those cortisols and stress hormones in your system, being for stress from the job or from the nutrition, um, or, or like you said, sleep. just from life, because their, their mood is down, their anxiety, their, 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 exactly. their like it comes like a vicious cycle. adds to it. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle. And yeah. until you actually plug the leak, you're going to have to mop the floors to no end. And that would be the last thing. As you mentioned, chiropractors. I mean, I love working with chiropractors and ENTs because you know, they see that there's problems in the nose, but what they don't understand is roof of the mouth is floor of the nose. I mean, they do understand, I hate to say they don't, but we don't know the connection that 
now we have science. Now we have knowledge of expanding the oral cavity and we're involved. I'm getting personally involved with the research on can we evolve or can we do something inside the nose by expanding the palate? Let's mm -hmm. look into it. We, nobody has looked into it. Can we expand the bone? Because we thought adults are done growing. I'm glad to tell you They're adults not, can no. yeah, go back and regain sure. that growth potential they lost, but we have to now produce external force or epigenetic factors to do it can be done. It's a commitment, but it's better than having to spend every other week in a chiropractor's office, right? Yeah. I mean, you could do that. You could do this too. <laughs> well, and that's just it is like right now for me, I'm going to correct what the, you know, the damage over the last, you know, 20, 48 years of my life that exactly. has not been corrected. Right. And luckily it can be, but it's very fascinating uh, to be able to look at that as a holistic side. Let me ask you this though. When you have this conversation, when you point this out, uh, even when you're talking about, I love your, your phrase, chairside detective, right? Really thinking about and talking about this is what our responsibility is and, and love that you're elevating it. Not that there's anything wrong at all with being a dentist, but when you're saying elevating it to a whole head doctor, right? To really, really thinking about it differently because you got to change society's mind about what it really means to go to the dentist. Exactly. Most people think it's about cleanings and getting fillings. And that's pretty much it, unless you have an extreme situation. So my question to you is, when you have this conversation, what is your biggest pushback that you get from your colleagues about this mindset? Why aren't more you know, people doing this? I mean, I, I, you know, do you know, I think we're working uphill battle here to changing um, a system. And every time that there's a dysfunction, you have to put equal or greater amount of force to change it. So my, my biggest pushback is not from the, you know, and for the most part, reaching out to medical doctors and saying, okay, I need you to collaborate with me in this area to diagnose this patient. For the most part, they're thinking, what is a dentist doing snooping around the airway anyways? Yeah. And you at the max, you're supposed to just put the mandibular advancement in their mouth and push the jaw forward until they can breathe. And believe me, I've seen damage to the joint from that as well, which is why promised myself I would never become that airway dentist that just put something in their mouth and just push it forward to till we can until there's no more advancement to be done because that causes permanent damage in the joint and we don't even know to what degree it can benefit from. Nevertheless, uh, the biggest pushback is from the patients. And mm -hmm. until I put the it, it put the right elements in the place. And I have, I'm grateful for my team that coached me on that because clearly you can see, I have a little bit of a passion about this subject. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Love I'm going to wear, I'm going to, I'm going to actually order a shirt that says warning. I'm going to start talking about airway at any given minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm very passionate about airway, but fact is patients are always dubious of knowing what, what, why are you even knowing, want to know about my, my sleep patterns? What is it even related to? Oh, really? oh you want to give me a night guard? Well, first of all, somebody called it a clench guard today. I've never heard of that. But anyways, I don't even do those anymore. But the fact is, people don't imagine coming to the dentist to get their airway checked. They don't. Mm -hmm. That is not where you go to get your airway checked. So mm -hmm. I started giving out the questionnaires, the sleep questionnaires, as a part of their dental package. Yeah. So I need to understand that pattern before you come in. And I have a million different flyers and informationals around my office that basically points out to little things why this medical condition with an oral manifestation is something that I should be looking at. And it opens up the conversation. And I have, like I said, I've put a lot of energy towards creating educational materials for the patients doing it a little bit at a time. It's a grassroots. It's not something that clicks right away. But once you, once you get the message out there, it, you get people to start thinking. 
And, right. and recognizing that, and I've heard this all the time in the chair from my patients. I, I'm a little bit more conscious of me breathing through my mouth now. And I wasn't before. I didn't even think about it, but yep. I know. Totally. Because mouth, mouth breathing is a disease. At some I, level, it's going to catch up. I am a convert, man, because I, uh, well, I told you before I, off the air when we were doing our pre-interview about uh, the book Breathe by James Nestor and how that's totally changed the way that I think about breathing when I'm sitting at my desk and I'm doing work. Am I breathing through my nose? Am I being a mouth breather? Am I, when I sleep, I tape my mouth. I actually told my best friend who, you know, he is, he's at his six foot, I want to say six, probably about 320 pounds. So obviously he has bad sleep apnea. He has a CPAP machine. And so when I told him, Hey, I've been doing this thing where I've been taping my mouth at night when I sleep and he was uh, freaking out. He was like, you know, that can't be good. Like that's gotta be dangerous. I'm like, well, I don't have sleep. apnea. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not suggesting you do this because I don't have sleep apnea. Right. I get it. But I'm just saying there's a reason for this. And I'm just a convert to that idea around it. And I love that you're saying education because if there's one thing I tell my clients and I've talked about on the show dozens of times is the number one best marketing you could possibly do for your business is education. Absolutely. And when, and matter of fact, it's not just me. There's a, there's a book called the challenge, the challenger sale where uh, a corporation did a huge study about what creates loyalty, customer loyalty, patient loyalty to your business. And the number one thing was, how they felt educated through the sales process. So when you can put out there something that says, you know, the five things you need to be aware of before you get another tooth cleaning, right? Or something. Now you're starting to let people know, no, you come to the dentist for more than what you think what, or what you've been told to do. That education is crucial. So I love that you mentioned that because it's so important. Absolutely. And I don't think, you know, that you, nobody, nobody cares about what you do because I, with enough trainings and experience, anyone can adjust appliances and put things in people's mouth. It's yep. not the how, it's people want to know your why. And yep. I think my why is, um, I, like I said, I became a doctor because I wanted to elevate people's suffering. And there's nothing more that bothers me to see children, especially children that are suffering from all this side effects of mouth breathing and lack of deep sleep. And they're getting uh, labeled, ADHD, ADD, bedwetting, um, behavioral issues, cognitive disability disorder, and all of these things. But poor little things, they basically are just going through this vicious cycle that they don't know how to get out of. Because I have two kids that are seven and 10 years old, and I'm watching them grow. And as much as I want to get all this inflammatory food out of their life and, and have them be in a, a, a grow up in a more holistic way, it's a battle. It's a battle. Yeah. yeah. Cause you got everything else going against you. Well, that's what made me think about this, right? When I was a kid, when you and I were growing up, if some kid was ADHD or, you know, he was, uh, couldn't have attention or whatever you kind of not. And I don't want to say, I don't want to go back to like, like looking at people like, well, that's weird or they should fix that. But now so many people have the same problem. I mean, like you said, 90% of the kids are on ADHD medications that I think parents nowadays are kind of going, oh, well, my kid's not unique or different. So this is just the way it is. And we're not looking at how can we change that because everybody else has the same problem too. Everyone's exactly. else, everyone else is in the Titanic ocean together, right? So like, well, why am I? Exactly. And you know, you're right because that's why the disease doesn't look like a disease anymore because everybody's the same. Yep. I mean, when I do patient educations meeting with my patients, just to let them know about these things, especially parents, is when, when I show the pictures of a kid who has apnea, 
with the dark circles around their eyes when they're with their mouth open and their the corners of the mouth are drooling. Their face is vertical and you can clearly see the mid face has no development in it. And I just say, does this look normal to you? Okay, now if you see a kid that's growing normally, they have all their teeth in their mouth and, and their jaw's grown enough to house all their teeth. You know, they don't have those dark circles around their eyes and their look of health, you would know the difference. But how would you know differently if your kid looks the same as everybody else? You say, well, that's normal. But I, I start pointing out the things that is not normal about the kid. You don't have to even see their behavior to know that. But when you, when you start seeing what is not normal, then you yep. know that these kids are not getting their full potential of growth. And again, why are all American kids in orthodontics by the time they're in 10 years old? Yeah. Does that mean American kids think, have bigger teeth? No, think about that job. from us, right? When we were kids, when I had braces, I was the odd one, like me and the five other kids in my school had braces, right? It wasn't every other kid. It wasn't more than every other kid, 90% of the kids having it. I think it's interesting because we've created so many uh, uh, stimuluses or even, um, I guess, quick fixes for those problems, right? That kid who's in college who has sleep apnea, who is not getting enough sleep, what does he do? He juices himself up Popping on Starbucks meds. all day long, Yep. right? And we're doing that to kids younger and younger and younger. I, I was talking to a friend the other day who uh, their cousin or somebody that was visiting for Thanksgiving, the, it was like 15 years old having coffee. And I was like, when, when we were kids, like, did anybody have coffee that you knew growing up when we were teenagers? Like that was an adult thing. And yet we're just getting more and more energy drinks. We're just, and like you mm -hmm. said, uh, medications for ADHD, we're taking a medication or a stimulant to try to fix the thing as opposed to what's the root of this problem? I'm not talking Nobody about the that, symptom. We're not asking. We're, what's the we're root? too busy going through the norm and treating symptoms to ever ask the question of where's the leak? Because you mop the floor, you're hoping that, that I would not be here next time the leak happens. But to me, I think it would be a lot easier for even, even other professionals and other parts of medicine, knowing that I'm going to go back to chiropractor because that's the one everybody, most people see. If a head is forward position, because head is a 12 pound medicine ball. Mm -hmm. And if you're not using your nose correctly, for whatever reason, nose is out of function, chronic inflammation, food allergens, whatnot, lack of growth. And you have to use your mouth to breathe. For that to happen, the head has to be forward positioned to keep the airway patent when you're awake. And, and that would mean 40, 12 pound medicine ball becomes now 45 pound medicine ball, depending on where it is. And, and when you're, when you're for, if you hold a bowling ball like right here for 10 minutes as you're talking, and then you hold another 10 minutes, you get tired, you start shifting and you start shifting your entire body to keep this medicine ball here. You're yeah. not gonna be in the same sturdy position that you were before. It's the same thing. If your body, your entire kinetic chain has to keep this 45 pound medicine ball now from falling forward, your entire neck and spine has to accommodate that curvature. So when it gets to the hip bone, the hip is a tabletop and your legs are the legs of that tabletop. Now the hip is getting out of torsion and now your entire kinetic chain and ligaments and muscles are out of balance, making sure the 12, 45 pound medicine ball does not fall forward. Yeah. And you keep on breathing and keep your eyes level with the horizon. You see how that compensation pattern keeps on going and now you get neck problem, I bet you would. And by the way, right, cervical neck two and lumbars kind of rotate together. So if your C2 is affected because of your head position, then your lumbar is going to be affected. Now you have a low back problem. You don't know it comes from your mouth, nose breathing. Yep. Yes, they all connected all the way down the chain. And um, we know more now. And if a chiropractor is addressing the airway issue along with a, a, a physician of the head and neck, with someone who's specialized in, in addressing the size of the airway with an ENT who can work on the nasal pathway, my functional therapist who can pull it all together 
bring the muscles functioning correctly. So stop the compensation pattern. The head will be positioned over the center of gravity. Now you don't have to work as much to get the cervical spine and the rest of the spine to be aligned because the 12 pound medicine ball is in the right place. As I always say, occlusion is where the head meets the spine, not where the teeth meet Mm. because teeth are attached. Your lower jaw is hanging off of your skull and where your teeth land has to do with where your head is. And you have to ask the question, why is the head not over the center of gravity where it should be over the spine? And if we start asking questions, reverse engineer, uh, like Dr. One of my great mentors and all of us as dentists, uh, Pete Dawson said, ask why until you cannot ask why anymore. And mm-hmm. if all practitioners, all clinicians to start asking that, it doesn't have to be a box that I treat. It's going to be boxed out of the ENT treats. And I have these conversations with my patients well, on that's a what daily I, basis. That's what I like about what you've done there is when, you know, you are, I, I'm a fan of people who are geniuses in their field, not even experts in their field, right? Because expert, you shouldn't be living and you should be living in your genius and you finding this path and knowing what the genius is. And like you just said, when you're able to ask enough questions, be that chair side detective and figure it out. Now you can actually properly diagnose and send them. Now that person might be you, but if it's not you to be able to send them to that right uh, uh, physician, if you will, to help them. And I think that's, that's a, it's an interesting thing because I, I wonder how many people have the humility to do that versus the ego of, well, I should be able to figure this out, or I should be taking care of this instead of being like, no, I'm going to be a genius here and send it to another genius. Exactly. And, you know, having that open conversations and, 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 and people will, will, will appreciate knowing that they're not going to get over-treated. There's nothing like, and, 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 and like I said, I prefer to under-treat than over-treat because mm-hmm. when we're treating people, it always comes with some procedure and writing a medicine and treating and surgical procedures. I, I don't like doing any of that. I think the easier way is to prevent, as you mentioned, or preventing from from the source, treating the cause and stopping the propagation of all the symptoms, which the patient has to agonize going through the treatment and the providers also. I have a lot more fun doing preventative stuff and education than I do being on the treatment side and surgical. Matter of fact, that was one area of dentistry that never was interesting to me with surgery. I've never had any interest in doing. Last time I put a suture was probably five years ago and I had to, I don't remember what happened, but it's just not something that I'm interested in doing. And, um, children, like I said, because I have two kids of my own and they both had, um, mouth breathing and my daughter was apneic, you know, back then when I didn't know as much as I do now, I, I took her to an ENT twice and all he suggested was just put Flonase on her nose and she'll be fine. And this kid snored her tonsils got enlarged because she was mouth breathing. And the more you mouth breathe, the more your tonsils get bigger and it occludes your airway even more. So this kid never went into a deep cycle of sleep until she was five years old. And now she's vigilant at school. She was getting labeled as ADHD. And they're suggesting that I should put her on meds because she's not keeping still. Because we want to sedate them, keep them good little boys and girls, right? And of I course. said, time out. Now I'm going to have to, I'm demanding a sleep study on this kid because I know she's not sleeping. And yes, she was severely apneic. She had 75 episodes per hour, which means... She was wow. waking up more than once a minute. Yeah. And I know wow. it because she would wake up with nightmares. And, uh, and again, if I had known back then what I know now, I would have never taken that tonsils out because sure. the tonsils were enlarged because of her mouth breathing because her nose was blocked. That was never addressed. We took the tonsils and adenoids out. The adenoids came back and she's still mouth breathing. Now her arch is not growing. 
misbehaviors still exist. And now, again, if you don't, at any point, if you stop the misfunction, you can stop the propagation and more damage. If right. I find this kid when she's 18 years old, yes, now she's going to have damage in her TMJ. She's going to have problems with probably she a couple of her teeth too, and maybe her neck and the entire kinetic system is going to be in dystrophy in the nervous system. So yes, there's more damage to be done. If I would find her at two years old and treat it way easier. So again, it goes back to, you know, it's, it's a compass of everything from nutrition, from soft processed food that the kids are eating, the chemicals that are in their system that's causing chronic inflammation and sympathetic activity in their bodies. And craniofacial is one of the most important things that doesn't develop between two and 17 is when the face grows down and forward. Majority of that happens before age 10. So mm-hmm. kids are missing that growth period of their face growing, their airways establishing, their nasal pathway and their palate, that window closes. Now we're basically, it's a fighting battle because they have a lot of habits to correct. Their tongue is not used to going where it should go. Now we have to train the yeah. tongue. And yeah, like I said, I could probably talk about another hour about the subject matter of this shit, but I totally um, though. I, I, I get it. I mean, it's funny because you're, as you're talking about this, my daughter, uh, just recently went to an ENT and found out she probably needs to get her tonsils removed and she just doesn't have the time in her schedule to do it right now. But she was talking about this and, you know, it's, I was telling her, you should probably check into how you're breathing and what's going on there exactly. before that happens, you know, and, and have more conversation. Of course, she went to an ENT because she wanted to make sure she was getting the right diagnosis. But, uh, you know, I, we could talk about this for hours. And that's the thing is that when, number one, when you're passionate about something, that's amazing. When you're able to give out great information to people, that is, is the, the crux of my show, right? That's the reason why I do this is because right. as a listener, I'm hoping that they're sitting there pulled over writing notes or having an aha or realizing, yeah, you know, I need to get involved in this movement of educating the public more so that we can be looked at as more than dentists, more than, you know, dentists in the sense of the drill and fills or dentists as in the sense of the, you know, just cleanings and uh, fillings or, or orthodontists who only do a certain thing. No, we're talking about looking at the whole mouth and head and neck. And I think that's just so powerful. So I appreciate it. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for the time you gave me um, to get the message out there. Like I said, I do a lot of this podcast and I try to get this message out there as many people as I can, especially parents. I think um, it's not just sometimes you, I see a patient and, and they're yes, obviously suffering from the symptoms, but it's more like if you have kids, I want you to know that it's easier to treat them at the, at the young age and get stop their habits. And they will never again, W where you did. So I can change not only the person in the chair, but probably the fate of their kids is going on. Uh, so that's so what cool. I'm really passionate about. That's really, really neat. That's awesome. Well, we've come to our show, a part of our show where we do our six rapid fire questions that we wrap up okay. the whole show with. And it's really just kind of the answers off the top of your head. So are you ready okay. to play? I'm ready. Awesome. Bring it on, Dino. So what is the one thing you wish they would have taught you in graduate school? Oh, I wish they would have told me that teeth are part of the body and not just 28 enamel posts. Oh, interesting. I like that. That's <laughs> I call it enamel posts. <laughs> That's great. That's really good. Um, what's a book that you believe every practice owner should be reading? Um, are we talking about medical practice re- practitioner? Okay. Given the passion that I have and everything that I talked about for the last hour, Close Your Mouth by Dr. Buteko. 
Very easy read. Every healthcare professional should read this. Awesome. Close your mouth. We'll put that in the show notes. That's for sure. That's great. Uh, and, and say the name again, Dr. Who? Dr. Buteko. I Buteko. think it spells B-U-T-E-K-Y-O. Nice. Buteko. So uh, in my book, The Practice Rx, I focus a lot on team culture and performance as the foundation for business growth. What do you see when you talk to your colleagues or even in your own practice as the biggest challenge that private practice owners face with their teams and their office culture? I think the biggest part is um, they, it, it's always the doctor. You know, if the doctor knows the why, they can cultivate that culture. And it's when the doctor doesn't know why they're showing up to the practice every day, that's when things fall apart. You cannot bring in a culture and expect everyone to follow when you don't have the memo. And if you go back and saying, why do I even want to be a practitioner in this area? Okay, dentist, I want to just treat you. But why? If you know the why, it's easier to implement it. Yep. That's where I think for the first 10 years, it was for me to find that why. But once I found it, I could see how every aspect of my practice changed just trying to um, accommodate now for that why. The reason so why I have smart. a private practice in Boulder, it was all to suffice that why. And that's that's uh, 100% accurate. I, I fully believe that if you show me a doctor has a uh, discombobulated practice, a practice not successful, that's, that's struggling, I'll show you a doctor who doesn't know why they're doing what they're doing and is able to bring the crowd with them, right? Bring the team with them and be that real yeah. great leader. So that's awesome. Absolutely. Um, the fourth question is how do people reach out to you? Like if people had questions about oh, your research or what you're doing and how they can support you, where they you You know, uh, I'm very active on my social media. I do have a, a Instagram and Facebook account at Peakview Dentistry. And also um, if they go to my website at peakviewdentistry.com, uh, I, um, my email is listed at Dr. Smiley at Peakview Dentistry and Smile at Peakview Dentistry. Either one of those would work out, but I'm very responsive to my social media. And that's where a lot of my patients actually interact with me. Oh, and cool. I do a lot of educational meetings on Facebook. So if anybody wants to go there, oh, nice. there is lots and lots of videos that I post almost on a weekly basis. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for having that out there. And everybody go, go uh, like and follow and share and all that fun stuff. So this is a little bit deeper of a question, but just off top of your head, what's the best advice that you've ever received in life or in business? You know, I think the, the fact is um, having to fail taught me something. You, you, don't, you don't consider failures the way that I do. And, and um, obviously I'm mastering the practice of dentistry, but I was never never good in the, in the business part of it. And, and, and that's something that I always thought there's a lag in between becoming a really good business person in practice. And I think you can only put your focus on one or the other. Um, but I had to go back and t- teach myself. I think that was the lesson that I taught me. I think it, mm-hmm. it, was, it was an advice for me that it's okay to fail. That means you tried. Okay yep, that's right. You tried. So we're failing forward. So every time that you fail, the guy who was the guy who invented the light bulb, if he would have just said, you know what, this light bulb thing is not going to work. He did like a number of hundred number of times. It would have given up. We would never have that technology today. So don't be afraid to fail. As yeah. a matter of fact, I embrace it now. In the same way that I did with patients that were pain back when I was a young dentist, I hated them. I hated TMJ patients. But when I said, <laughs> you know, bring it on, I want to, I want to treat them and get down to the bottom of it and know how to manage them. Now I'm actually asking all my colleagues, the more complex pain patient you have, send them to me wow. because 
there's more rewards in treating those than ever putting a set of veneers on somebody. So face your fears and don't be afraid to fail. It's probably one of the best advices. I don't know where I landed and it hurts, but you know, there's no gain if there's no pain. So let it yeah. bring it on. Well, you're right. It's, it was Edison who said that, right? He didn't, he didn't invent one way to create a light bulb. He invented 999 ways not I to. That it right? won't work. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. actually a good one. So last question, what's the best resource or tool that you believe every private practice owner should be using to grow their practice? You know, I think the best investments that any practitioner can make is more about the diagnostics and educational tools for their patient. Mm. Because what you what patients can see and co-diagnose with you, there's no value. Like for example, when I invested in my three-dimensional x-rays, that was one thing that patients can see and understand what I know is underlying and helping them to 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 co to become a uh, partner in their treatment and medical yep. improvement. So invest in your patient's diagnostics, not only because you're a better practitioner, it makes them a better partner. You can never treat, because people need to know it's a treatment done for them, not to them. Right. And the only way to get them to see it is if they can see it from the same eyes and same objective measures as you, the practitioners. So marketings are great. I think it's, it's great to have educational tools out there, but when it comes to individual patient care, there's no value that I can personally put on um, diagnostic tools that are understandable for the patients. And, and I and probably spend more money on that end than anything else. Well, that's a good key, right? Is to make sure that it's understandable to them that they can see that you're showing them, not just telling them. And that's so powerful. So exactly wow well what an amazing last what 45 minutes we've had together i'm so honored that you would take this time with us and share with us your passion we all can hear it we all can feel it uh for those of you that are watching on the youtube channel you can definitely see the passion for those of you listening on the podcast you can hear it and that's what we're all about here we're here to share the best practices with our with the dental and ortho profession so thank you so much for being a part of thank the show thank you dino I really appreciate the opportunity and you spending the 45 minutes on the podcast with me. Absolutely. Well, everybody, please make sure you reach out to Dr. Smalley and, uh, and, and connect with her. If she's got free education, free videos up there, uh, just follow her path. It's going to be great. And Peakview Dentistry is doing an amazing job out there in Colorado. Just thank you for being who you guys are. I really appreciate it. Everyone on the show listening here, thank you so much again for being a part of our, this episode of the Propreneur Podcast. As always, our goal here is to help you be more proactive, productive, and profitable in all areas of your life and business. We'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Thank you. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.